0: In church, I should say. If you will be making your way to Exodus chapter twenty, Exodus chapter twenty, second book, page one seventy-five. Um. There's a Ladies' Day coming up at Valley View and. Uh, I've always thought of this, and for some reason it's never worked out. I think, this is this on? Is that my fault, fault or your fault? Testing, testing. Testing. It was your fault. It wasn't? Well, it was Okay. This is so easy, even a caveman can do it. You t- preacher needs Tony Pearson's help. <laughs> <laughs> testing, testing, does that work? Testing, I got it back. Okay, it comes apart like that sometimes. Uh, so this Ladies' Day is coming up, and I think we have like a, a very, very, very good speaker for this Ladies' Day. Uh, they haven't told me who it is, but they said it's somebody local. Actually, I think it is. It's Rachel Nix, right? Is that right? She's gonna. So she's going to do great. Now here's what the thing is. As, as men of this congregation, the ladies do so much I I began to kind of pass around this idea a couple years ago, but nobody took it up for some reason. This year they're willing to. Men, we are going to be on hand to serve these ladies the meal and to clean up so that they don't have to miss the Ladies' Day stuff. Doesn't that seem like the right thing, men? Yeah, it sounds like the right thing. Uh, The elders talked about it, and I, I don't usually share stuff at elders' meetings, but Terry said we need to have black pants an apron, no shirt, and a black tie, a bow tie. I said, no, I don't think that's going to work for the people who are going to serve this thing. Uh, but I don't, I don't quite understand this, though, uh, because Dawn's just not quite willing to trust us. I, I think men should cook for you food. She says, no, we want soups and salads. That ain't Food. This is obviously a ladies' day, okay, because anybody who thinks, well, just having soups and salad nobody wants soup and salad but they say, yeah, all the ladies like that, okay, all right, you-. so she's going to make the ladies cook and bring it, and we're just going to serve it, because she doesn't trust us to cook, okay, that's fine, and, and we'll do all that stuff, and I'm just wanting to tell, I'm putting this in the men's ears right now, it's coming up in a couple months, be ready to be here to serve so that these ladies, they can just enjoy the day and we do the work that treats them a little bit. That saying fair, right? That's fair and that's right. So be looking for it. It's a service opportunity for you men. So I just want to wanna share that with you. We're in Exodus chapter 20. God spoke all these things, verse 1, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now you've seen this challenge, and if this were a youth event, I would have this challenge very, very well prepared for But there's this container here with a, a wide mouth at the top that you put stuff in. And uh, beside it you have this large rock, and beside this you have containers of sand and, and chat and marbles. And the thing is, it's sort of like going to a, a miniature golf course. There is a way to get a hole in one at every miniature golf course technically isn't that right Mitchell there is a way yes there is a way you just gotta figure it out well there is a way to put all these ingredients in this one container but you gotta be careful and strategize exactly how to put it in there because if you put it in the wrong way it won't fit you've seen this right now the answer is always this that big massive rock that barely fits in the mouth of that thing, that has to go nearly first. If you don't put the big thing in first and then build the other small stuff and kind of scoot it in around, it will never go in. If you put all the marbles and the chat and the sand in there, and then you wait till last to put the big rock, it won't work. The only way it'll work is if you put the big rock in first. Commandment number one is the big rock. It's not going to work. None of the rest of the commandments are going to work right if you don't settle this one first. There is no other God for you than me, God says. No other gods. Now, it's interesting if you read it, he doesn't really say there are no other gods. He says you won't have any other gods before me. This is commandment number one for a reason. It's the big rock that needs to go in if everything else is going to fit in beside it. That's the point of commandment number one. And God made this emphatic all the way through Scripture. Here's the first original top ten list. And number one is, no other gods before me you'll have, right? But in the New Testament, there's Jesus walking around, the Son of God who's teaching the truth about God. And this legal lawyer comes up to him and says, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus looks at him and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says the same thing. God's consistent here. Your obedience to Him and your life will not go right until you put God in your life first and you make Him the absolute number one priority. The rest of life will go in. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, okay, um, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God in there first. First and everything else... Will be added to you. Everything else will fit in there. Commandment number one and the greatest commandment Jesus says is the same thing. Let's put God number one. And God's emphatic and God is consistent throughout Scripture. You've got to put me number one. Why? Because of who God is and what God has done. If you look at verse twenty, uh, verse twenty, chapter twenty, verse one. God spoke all these things. I'm the Lord of God, brought you out of the land of Egypt and the, out of the house of slavery. You know me already. I've already done something for you you know something about me this God who is trying to reorder their lives and sets himself as number one in their life is not some stranger it's not some despotic ruler who comes out of nowhere and starts calling out orders this is a God who's already been involved in their lives partly they didn't know it partly they don't realize that creation and, and all the way back there to creation God's responsible for their existence but what they do know is that God came to them saw them in slavery heard their cries, comes to them, takes on all the gods of Egypt in those amazing ten plagues duel. He takes them on and whips them all and takes his people, gets out of Egypt. He leads them through the wilderness, gives them water, even out of rocks. He gives them food out of the sky. He gives them military victory when they have absolutely no military training. God's already proven himself. God's already been involved with them, and God has made them his people already. This is not some stranger God. This is a God they know who's rescued them already. And if we were talking about us, we know a whole lot more than they do. Yeah, He's the God who created, and we believe He's the God who rescued His people out of Egypt. We also believe He's a God who came to this earth in person, in the form of His Son, for us, and left behind a church so that we would have a structure by which we could understand the story and a fellowship by which we could find strength to live out this life. So much more since then. God has loved us first. We love God because one day it dawns on us, He's already been loving us. First and fiercely, hasn't He? This God is not some strange ruler who just says, I'm going to take control of your life whether you like it or not. He's already saved them. He's already been loving them. And then you look back at verse 1, and it's a God who even at that moment is speaking to them. He's carrying on a conversation. We serve a God who speaks. And in the rest of the New Old Testament, God really gets on this. Unlike all the other nations who, who, who create their own gods and, and, and picture them as idols, they have gods that are dumb. They can't hear you. They can't speak to you. They're blind and they're powerless. They can't do a thing for you. You serve a God who has spoken to His people. It's a conversation that we get to have with our Creator. And who started the conversation? God did. We serve a God who speaks. When you open up that Word, when you open up the Bible, y'all, God's talking to you. We serve a God who speaks. And He continues to speak to His people. Not only that, but if you look ahead to the verses that he read just a moment ago, from I'm going to steal from the second commandment here for a moment. Not only do we serve a God who reveals himself, but in verse 6 he says... He shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. And later on he says, I'm slow to anger, abounding in love. I will not always accuse. I will not harbor my anger forever. We serve a God who has absolute sovereign power over all things. And what, does, what would a human being do with sovereign power? Absolute power, what? Corrupts absolutely. It would go to our heads. There's no human being who can handle this, and yet we serve a God who has all sovereign power, and He chooses to love and be patient and gracious with us. That surely deserves an amen, right? A God who's gracious with us? Your only chance, church, to be saved or to stay saved is by the grace of a God you serve who could squash you like a bug at any moment. But He chooses to be loving and forgiving You ever wonder why God's that way? I wonder this all the time and I ask Him. He never answers. If He answers, it'll scare me to death. But I always wonder God, why are you like that? Why do you forgive us? Why do you care about us? I'm not the first one to ask this Psalm 8 is this. Who are we that God is so mindful and considerate of us? He shouldn't bother, but He does. He's also, if you back up to verse 5, a God of great expectations. He also is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the sons for third and fourth generation. He's a God who expects obedience from His people, and He expects us to do our part and honor our part of the covenant. We have a God who expects us to work, and He knows that we're capable to do it. Now I'm going to get a little selfish about this. Why does He become a God who deserves to say, you make me number one in your life? Because He's earned the spot. He's earned the right to be there. But it's also for our good. What He knows is the best way we can live is in submission to Him. He's doing us a favor when He does this because there's great benefits to us living this way. Some really struggle with this commandment because it's not monotheistic. He doesn't say there's only one God. He says, you guys will only have, you'll only have me. But here's the weird thing. No other gods before me. There's different ways to translate this, okay? Some people say this. Have no other gods that you worship when you worship me. When you come together in in my temple, in my tabernacle, whatever I designate for my worship, when you come together to worship me, I don't want you worshiping anybody else on the side. I don't want you to have your cell phone with you. I don't, you I don't want you worship technology. I don't want you to worship anything while you're worshiping me. could mean that. You buy that? Not me. He's a little more jealous than that. It could mean, have no other gods in preference to me. I want to be your favorite. I want to be your very best favorite one. I, I want there to be others. There can be others. But I want you to prefer me above the others. You can worship some others, but, but make me your favorite. Could mean that, but I don't think so. Could be this one. It could be, have no other gods in defiance of me. Don't have any other gods that clash with me. Don't have any of them that, you, that, that, you, that, that oppose me. Don't have any other god that would, that would clash with what I want. Could be that, but I think it's really number four. Don't have any other gods other than me. It literally means, don't have any other gods in my face, in my presence. So when you're in my presence, I have your undivided attention. And where is God's presence? Everywhere. So when you're anywhere, let me be your number one, the God that you serve. I think this is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When these believers say, you know, we've been worshiping all our lives, these pagan gods, and we don't believe in those gods anymore, but is it okay if we go ahead and worship with our friends at these temples because we don't believe in these gods? And Paul says, no, you can't play the game like that. Because while there's not a deity there, there are demons there that can affect you. This stuff affects you whether you believe that it does or not. I I want you to be careful with this. You don't play and you don't flirt with other gods. I'm a jealous God. I don't like that. But here's what God knows about us. He knows we could make anything a god. We are susceptible to putting anything that we want in the throne of our lives. It's, it's, it's uncanny the kind of stuff that human beings have made gods. It's not that they are gods. It's not that they're equivalent to God, that they're compar- comparable in power. It's not that at all. It's that we make them so. We put them in places to be an influence like that for us. God demands exclusive allegiance. A throne is a seat that looks like this, not the one you're sitting on. You know the difference between this one and the one you're sitting on? This one is a seat for one. One person calls the shots that you have to follow. Where you're seated, you can sit 10, 15 people on it, and you can choose which answer you like best. A God by committee. It's like a bullpen right I'll just choose the one I think might give me the answer I want God says it's not like that a throne is a seat for one I'm either Lord of all all or I'm not Lord at all in your life I want absolute priority I want to be number one I want undivided a loyalty from you and that may sound picky it may sound like he's just being a little capricious right like I just wanna I've got a I've got an ego God's got an ego problem and he wants us to feed his ego together what he's really doing is he's saving our lives. He's pointing out the most dangerous spot in the history of the world is when you take God off the throne and you put yourself on it and your life runs amok. I'll give you one practical example here in a minute, but I'll give you one Bible example. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Romans chapter 1. And you're going to see this godless description of awful Terrible behavior. Despicable behaviors that everybody in here would call disgusting. At least most of them. But he says this in Romans chapter 1. Verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to people because God has shown it to them. The Bible never tries to prove that God exists. It assumes God exists. Once in a while it will say, here's how you know. Go outside and look at the world and look at creation. How did it get here? How did you get here? There's a God. It's plain that there is some kind of power that produced this. His invisible attributes His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly perceived, verse 20, ever since the creation of the world. It got here somehow in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. People are without excuse. And people will try to talk you into thinking that they struggle with this, but really in reality, they are suppressing truth. They are not really not believing truth. They're just choosing not to believe it. For although they knew God, notice this, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, they did not give thanks to him, they became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged God for something else. And so God gave them up. You see that three times. God lets you do this. God lets you take him off the throne and put something else on there. But be warned. If you take God off that throne and put something else on it, your life will spiral downward. The first thing you'll do, notice, is that you will allow the lust of your heart to let you do anything your imagination can come up with. Homosexuality is a response to not submitting to a creature God, creator God, like a creature should. You are refusing to do what by nature God has made clear to be the truth, and you are creating your own path, created by your own lust. You have removed God from the throne and put your desires on it. That's what homosexuality is. And he goes on to talk about all sorts of other things. Notice verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since they decided we don't want to believe in God, so we'll put something else on the throne, he gave them up to a debased mind to do things that ought not to be done, filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. This is what happens when you take God off the throne and put your rear end there. This is what happens. This church is the evening news interpretation from God. That's what this is. These people chose... To disregard commandment number one, to put God one. And they put their own desires there. Or something else, something of creation. Something less than an eternal God was put on the throne, and instead, something created that isn't worthy of being God is put into a God spot, and then your behavior goes south. Another example of this. And by the way, there'll be people in here that can relate to this. But I promise you, I'm not thinking of anybody. I've watched this with many people over the years, and here's what it's like. A man and a wife get married and they have a child. They can't get along, and so they give this child up for adoption. Actually, they give it to one of the grandparent sets. And this grandparent decided they'll take in this child rather than let it go into foster care or be adopted out. And so these grandparents take this child. And these grandparents are godly people and they're raising this grandchild with a sense of right and wrong and a respect for God and the structure that God would have us to live. But the problem is one of the parents still wants to have partial custody. Another set of grandparents wants to have partial custody too. So the kid is for two weeks of the month here, one week here, and one week here. And these other two places have no concern about right or wrong, or they have no concern about God whatsoever. And so when the child goes to these other two houses, they can do whatever they want. They're the king of the house, and they can live any way they want to. And then they come back to this house and try for the next week to, uh, next two weeks to hammer out this position of where right and wrong are and then they go to another house and and it just becomes what chance does this kid have part of the time there's god in charge part of the time they're in charge and they live their lives half the time being the lord of the house and the other half the time knowing lord as the lord of the house The confusion that reigns is amazing. And God looks at us and says, I will not share custody with anybody. I'm either Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. I'm not going to let there be a division of authority here. That's a practical thing to see this. And that's why God says, number one, let's get this straight, I'm God and you're not. God knows there will always be other gods that we can create and put on that throne. He doesn't have to to say I'm the only God. He does later on in the Old Testament. But here He doesn't say He's the only God. He says, you're going to worship me as your only God. Because what He knows is, while there are no competitors with His power and position, there will forever be competitors In our hearts and in our minds, there is an unlimited supply of what we can make to be number one. But someone has to be in charge and someone has to call the shots and someone has to have the final say in these things. And God says, I want you to set number one, me as number one, and the rest of these commandments will flow out of that. And you'll know the reason why you've got to obey number two through nine is because you've already established number one. And really, God can look at you, and don't sit there and tell me today, well, you're psychobabble, that God has to explain to us himself. What he has to say after number one is, the reason you have to keep this commandment is because I said so. It's all you have to know. And if he doesn't explain himself, it doesn't matter. He said it. Now, do you know anybody in in the New Testament, for instance, who who did perfectly in obeying the other nine commandments, but this one is the one that caught him? There was a guy who comes up to Jesus one day and says, you know, I've kept the commandments all my life, but there's one thing I lack. And Jesus says, there is one thing you lack. Money's your God. It's it's on the throne of your life. you got to get rid of it and put God there. You see, he'd he'd obeyed number two through nine all his life. He was a good guy. We would say, man, he's an upstanding elder type person, right? He's done number two through nine all his life, but he's never done number one. Something else was on the throne of his life other than God. And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack for eternal life. And if you don't get this right, you're going to lose it. You're going to be a command keeper two through nine perfectly who ends up in, in damnation because you couldn't put God number one. Tell me how important number one is. It's huge. And we've put so many things there. And we are so capable of putting any number of things. I, I couldn't even list all this stuff. We put jobs number one. A lot of us, that's our identity. That's who we are. We can't imagine anything else. And we get everything from it. Here's an example of a it, it could be a job, it could be a person. We're so enamored with a relationship. That it's number one and it determines everything for our lives. It could be money. It could be any number of things. I couldn't even name them all. It could be the weirdest things. It could be your kids. And so God says, I can't name all the things that you could put in my spot. So let me just name the one thing that you should. You will have no other gods other than me you want to know who it is for you here's here's how you locate it our God is where we find our value we find your value in anything other than God my sense of identity is in anything other than God there's your God if you seek comfort or confidence in anything other than God when things go wrong where do you go when things are stressful, what do you do? Who do you consult? If it's anything other than God, it becomes your God. Do you turn to something else in your time of need? Do you give your allegiance and your loyalty to anything else? There will be people who'll do anything for the Razorbacks. They'll go mile after mile, money after money, and nothing wrong to like the Razorbacks, nothing wrong with that, but, but but your allegiance is so complete to that and when he turned to God it's so lackadaisical in comparison. We consult something else for guidance. I I like to say this one this way. If you're not following what Scripture has to say about your life and you're doing something else, then you're following some other guide than God. What is it? What gives you the gumption to do what you do rather than what Scripture says. Whatever it is that gives you that gumption, it's your God. And you attribute your success to something other than God. What I loved about Wednesday night is you had a bunch of people stand up. I had four people stand up, and there was many here who decided we are going to begin our Thanksgiving holiday thanking God. We, we want to think if there's anything other than God, you give thanks to for the things that you have. And you can, in addition to grateful for people's influence, but anything gets the ultimate thanks. It's your God. If we make God number one, our priority, and our absolute authority in life, these things right here that you see on that list will all be Him. And He's the only one capable of being able to meet every one of those things for you with ease. And he wants to. He wants to give you your value and your identity with him in relationship. He wants to give you comfort. He wants to be the one that you talk to when things are going bad. He wants to be the one you consult first. He wants to be the one to, 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 to have a word about what you need to be doing about something. And when you succeed, he wants to be the one to be thanked. That's how you keep him, number one. So tonight, as you start a new week, decide the big priority to set in your life right here on the first day. And if you will set him as priority, everything else this week will fit in perfectly and in the proper place. If you don't right now, If you don't, right at the beginning, put him there as priority, you'll never fit him in the rest of the week. You'll be struggling to try, but you can't. It's got to be him first. Church, we still have no other God before the Lord. Make it that way for your life. Let him be the one who guides everything that you do, And all these things will be added to you. Any rearranging need to be done to fit everything in right here? If you need to rearrange something, we'd be glad to help rearrange the furniture as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.